You're listening to audio from Pillar Church of Jacksonville, where our goal is to know Jesus and to make him known. If you have questions or want to know more about us, and can text Pillar to 94000 or visit our website at pillarjacks.com. JD, I'm one of the pastors here. So glad that you're with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We're picking back up our series in on. Did you know that almost every day of the year now has a special holiday attached to it? This year, the nation has celebrated special days such as Fruit Cake Toss Day. Anybody participate in that one? Yep, Alejandro. How about uh, Learn Your Name in Morse Code Day? Well. About Squirrel Appreciation Day. Did y'all participate in that one? Yes? All right. About one I find quite interesting uh, Work Naked Day. I'm really glad that one wasn't today, as you should be as well. But yesterday, celebrated things like World Sword Swallowers Day. Say that five times fast, right? Uh, who here told a fairy tale to their kids yesterday? Nobody? Man, you would have tell a fairy tale day yesterday. Today we get to celebrate National Strawberry Day. I have uh, I love strawberries, but it does seem weird that we celebrate it in February and not April or May, right? This seems interesting. It's also International Polar Bear Day. Uh, as someone who has worked for for many years, I do appreciate polar bears, if you get that reference. Uh, how about my Pokemon people this morning? Where are my Pokemon people? Hands raised? Of course, we got all the kids. Yes. They are now into the sermon as well. Awesome. Today is National Pokemon Day. There you go. I see you, Jackson. Good job, buddy. National Pokemon Day. Have your, have your parents bake a cake and of National Pokemon Day, or cookies. Um, anyway, I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I can't think of any of these obscure holidays that I've ever celebrated. Maybe you have. Although, looking at the references, I could definitely see myself celebrating National Ice Cream Day, Chocolate Cake Day. Those seem really good. But usually, it's the big national holidays that we tend to recognize. July 4th, Memorial Day, Labor Day. Same for Christians. We recognize big days, big holidays such as Christmas and Easter. And that we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ at Easter and His birth in Christmas. But there are some days that the church itself celebrate quite as much. And one of those is Palm Sunday, right? Like we don't, uh, sometimes we do celebrate Palm Sunday, recognize Palm Sunday. It's on the calendar for many of us, but we don't really recognize this day as being somewhat something that's really as important as the others. So this story is familiar with us, the story known as the triumphal entry. It's a vital day in the course of history. It's, it's one of the most important times in the course of history where it pertains to us as Christians. Not only just because Jesus is, is ushered in with palm branches and worship and and all those things, but really, the point of it is that it's where Judas and the Pharisees 
set their heart, kill and destroy the Messiah. So we're going to see that this morning. I want to remind us of the main idea of the book of John. That, that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God, that you may have life. We get this from John himself where he writes in John 20, 31. I have written these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. In it you would have life. So I pray for us this morning that we would see Jesus as the Son of God, that we would have life. If you don't have a Bible of your own, there should be one uh, up underneath the seat in front of you. Grab that, take it with you if you'd like. That's our gift from us to you. But I'm going to read John 12, 1 through 26. Days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. Where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money back he used to help himself was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Poor you always have with you. You do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away, believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Branches so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. The disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, when they remembered that these things, then they remembered that these things had been written about him. And had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, among those who went to worship, went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida. In Galilee and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, Our has come, Son of Man, to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, 
there will my servant be also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him for us this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time that we have to gather together to, to sing songs of and hymns of worship. That we get to fellowship with one another. That we get to hear from your word given to us. That we get to celebrate what you have accomplished on the cross, your death and your burial and in your resurrection, the Lord's Supper. All these things you have given to us to bring us opportunity to worship and to praise your holy name. Even as we sang and saw in the songs this idea of praising you and giving you honor and worship for who you are. Help us to do that. Help us to hear from your word now. Lord, I pray that everything that I would say this morning would be from your spirit and not from myself. It's in Jesus' name we humbly pray. Amen. Three things I want us to see from the text this morning. Worship fervently, that we would praise rightly, and that we would surrender expectantly. Worship fervently, praise rightly, surrender expectantly. There's one thing I want you to take away from the sermon is this, that Jesus is preparing or a death lead to life for those who follow him. Jesus is for a death will lead to life for those who follow him. So we think about this idea of worshiping fervently. So it doesn't tell us in the beginning of John chapter 12, but Jesus and his disciples and Mary and Martha and Lazarus are gathered at the Simon uh, at Simon the leper's house. There they are having a dinner, uh, recognizing that Jesus has just done an amazing thing. He has brought someone who was dead for four days back to life. He was already rotting and stinking, and he was and Lazarus was uh, dead. He was very much dead. But we find ourselves in this intimate setting of Simon's home. And they were having dinner together. So you can picture this in your mind. They're, they're in a house. And Martha is serving. Lazarus, whom he had just raised from the dead. One of those reclining with him at the table. Notice in, in, in 11, uh, the end of chapter 11, verse 57. Now the chief priest and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was... He should let them know so they might arrest him. So they're going against the Pharisees and the Sadducees here and those leaders by gathering together. In the midst of this, Mary, she takes a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. And she begins to worship Jesus by pouring it. We see from other texts here that it says, Anointing the, feet of, anointing the feet of Jesus, but other text tells us that they anointed his whole body. And she would use this nard that was imported from the Himalayan mountains between Tibet and India. And it's super hard to get. You had to travel for many miles to be able 
to get it. And so uh, it was really expensive. She takes the whole container, this whole 12-ounce container of expensive ointment, and she anoints Jesus with it. Not only anointing Jesus, but taking down her hair and wiping his feet with it as a sign of submission, humility, and ultimately worship. So much so that the house was filled with the fragrance of this nard, of this expensive ointment. That she has just poured out over Jesus. But. There's always somebody in there right. Iscariot one of his disciples. He who was about to betray him. Said this. Why is this ointment. Not sold for 300 denarii. Here's wage. That's how much this ointment is. Basically a, a year's. Ways that she was giving up by anointing Jesus with it. Imagine how much we could help the poor. Money. He didn't say this because his heart was right with Jesus. He didn't say this out of a right worship to Jesus. No, Judas had something else in mind. Verse 6. He said this not because he cared about the poor but because he was a thief. Having charge of the money back, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So he wanted the 300 denarii for himself. For his own selfish ambition. We see here the generosity and the humility of, of, of Mary compared to the greediness, selfishness, and the pride of Judas. Do you see this? And the difference in their hearts is who they believe Jesus to be. The question for us this morning is who do you believe Jesus to be? Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Anthem this morning as you come and worship and gather together. Jesus is just a crutch. He's just a way at which I can gain something. A way in which I can get something. Maybe my life will get better if I just believe in Jesus. Maybe I'll get more stuff. Maybe I'll be healed of my infirmities. Maybe I'll have all the answers when I believe in Jesus. We see what here today, this morning, text. You have different hearts. Mary's, who was contrite and humble and gracious towards the King of Kings. And Judas, who wanted nothing but what he could gain for himself. But it wasn't just Judas. The book of Matthew tells us that all the disciples looked on her with indignation. Looked at her in frustration for what she had just done. Give up a year's wage in, in this nard, in this ointment. How could she do this? Not only do the disciples look at her with disdain, and does Judas look at her with disdain, 
I think many times we do this. We do this. Look at Judas with disdain. How many of you have ever named your kids? Do we have any Judas's kids named Judas in here? Not a popular name. Just not. We look at Judas with disdain. You look at, at Judas as, how, how could he do this? How could disciples view this as a, as a way of, of not right worship? They're like us. And that if we're honest with ourselves, see that we probably identify more with Judas than we do with Mary. We look at our own hearts and eyes. I mean, how many of us are going to give up a year's worth of salary to worship the king? How many are going to give up everything that we own to go and him? Many of us. Many of us. Matter of fact, if we were asked to do this, we'd probably have disdain. We'd probably have frustration in this. How many of you would balk at the thought of giving up a, a year's wage for worship? No, it'd be difficult for me. Wonder if we have the heart of Mary, that we would worship this fervently. We would come to the feet of Jesus, to the foot of the cross. We would give up our own desires, our own selfish ambitions to follow after Him and to pursue and to worship Him in a way that is glorified, honoring to Him. I wonder how many of you came here this morning to check off a box. Look, I did it. I showed up on a, a Sunday morning. Or to show God and others your commitment with an outward expression, but your hearts are far from Him. Ask yourself this morning, what is my, what is my posture this morning towards the Lord as I come in this place? Is my desire here this morning to worship Jesus this morning? Did you come here this morning with Expectant hearts to worship the Messiah who is found in the person and work of Jesus? Do you rejoice in the singing of songs and raising our voices as an anthem to Him? Do you rejoice in being around other believers in fellowship and love of one another? Do you rejoice in opening God's word and having your heart changed and transformed by the good news of the gospel? Is that the way you enter into this place this morning? To hear the word of God opened. To have your heart changed through the teaching of his word that reproves and corrects and trains us in righteousness. Scriptures tell us. Or if we if we worship this fervently. We worship that we give all of ourselves to worship Christ and who he is. About coming to church any other time besides first thing Sunday morning or late Saturday night in preparation. Or do we prepare our hearts all week for this time that we have together on the Lord's day?
coming ready to worship. All of our life and act of worship. Honor and glorify. So I pray that we would be more like Mary. Give up all the things that we, our hearts desire. To worship and glorify Jesus. Second thing that we see here. That we would praise rightly. That we would praise rightly. The only one that comes to defend verse 7. Mary is Jesus. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. And then we get this crowd that hears that Jesus is, is there with, uh, with Lazarus. And so they come and they, and, and they want to see him raised from the dead. And there are many that are believing in him. And then we even get to the next day in verse 12. The large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and they go out and they meet him crying out, Hosanna! Blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even the king of Israel. Jesus comes in to Jerusalem on a donkey. Chapman's already pointed out. To fulfill the idea or this, the, the prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. Which reads this way. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in trumpet triumph, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, full of a donkey. Jesus doesn't ride in on a large steed. He doesn't come in with this huge party and parade of people. He comes in humbly. Donkey. Hosanna means, this word Hosanna means rejoicing. Or I'm sorry, save us now. It means Hosanna, save us now. Hosanna, and they quote Psalm 118 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the one that we've been waiting for. This is the Messiah that we've longed for to see, see come into the world. You see, this is our liberator to bring us freedom. This is our king to free us from the Roman yoke of slavery. This is he, the Messiah, that would come in, save us now. Line the streets with palm branches in their clothes and their shirts, and they, they line, they, they have palm branches in their hands, and they're rejoicing in the Lord and the Messiah that's to come. But not because he's a Messiah who would rescue them from eternal damnation against him, but what yet to save them. Slavery. This they were looking for. They wanted a Jesus who they knew could perform such a miracle as the raise to death from someone that was dead for four days to life certainly could overthrow a government, right? Certainly could bring us freedom. So their praise 
praise is in the wrong place. They heard about what he could do. Heard about all the signs and wonders that he had been performing. Heard about all these acts of, of, of things that he was doing to save people from themselves. And they wanted in on it. They wanted in on it. Save us from this oppression. And I wonder, just us, do we, do we praise like this? When we give Jesus praise, is it because that we expect something in return? Almost in the same way that we worship. Yeah, we're like the disciples. We don't understand everything that God is doing. No, we're called to remember. We're called to remember what, what, what Christ has done for us. In so doing, it causes us to praise with the right heart, with the right posture, who Jesus is. That we would praise rightly. That we would not praise Jesus because He heals us or think He's going to heal us from our infirmity. Or think that He's going to give us blessing upon blessing, a, a bigger house or a bigger car or more stuff. It's not Jesus. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords because He is God. Because He is the Word who has come into the world. To die, to live a life we could never live and die a death that we deserve. That is the King that is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Servant. King of Israel that they had in mind was not the King of Israel. Jesus was. What kind of king are you looking for? King that will give you everything that your heart desires? Or a king that will call you to submission? So the crowd had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb. They raised him from the dead and they continued to bear witness. But in verse 18 we see the reason. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that he had done this sign. He had done a wonder and a miracle that they wanted in on. See, the whole world is going after him. Jesus was not lacking in popularity. He had plenty of followers who wanted to see him perform signs and miracles and wonders. I just want to remind you that at the ascension of Christ in Acts 1, how many people were gathered together in the upper room waiting for him to ascend to heaven? It was 120. Jesus has a way of dispersing the crowds. These same people that are crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna here, in the next few chapters will be the same people crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Crucify him. Are a fickle people. And if our foundation and our grounding is not in worshiping and praising Jesus as king, rescuing us from our own selfish desires and our own sinful natures, we really have 
no king at all. If we just feel like he will check off a box for us. Or give us what we want. Now we're fickle. We need Jesus, Lord and Savior. Who we will worship as the King of Kings. The last thing we must do is surrender expectantly. Just worship fervently. Praise rightly. Surrender expectantly. How many of you enjoy the word surrender? Lots of military people in here, right? Surrender is not a word that we enjoy. It means I give up something. But no, we are to surrender expectantly. Now, among those who went up to worship, this is verse At the feast were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, hey, we want to see Jesus. So Peter then goes to Andrew and says, Hey, they want to see Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come. Now, this is interesting because we've seen all the way out, all the way through the book of John already, if you've been with us for all this series. Jesus has continually gone away from the crowds because his hour has not yet come. Has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. But now we see Jesus not only not not run from the crowd, but to go into Jerusalem to the crowd to be celebrated. His hour has come. It is time. It is time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So we see that His hour has come, that He must die. He compares himself to a a, a grain of wheat. Falls to the ground really means nothing at first. But then as it dies and it germinates, guess what it does? Creates more wheat. He's saying this will be true of my life. When I am glorified, when when people will see the radiance of my grace and the majesty of my truth, they will know that I have been glorified. So we see that when I die, Jesus says, actually the fruit of everything that happens in my death, my burial, my resurrection, everything that happens will come as a, will explode this idea of the gospel to us. This is, what, this is what those in that, in that time would have missed. Because Zechariah 9.9, talking about Jesus coming in on the colt on the foal of a donkey, they don't read 9.10. It says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. Bow of war will be removed and he will proclaim peace to the nations. His dominion will extend from sea to sea 
from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. How did the gospel from a tiny upper room in Jerusalem to Jacksonville, North Carolina, to this place and time? Because we were given that promise from the scriptures that Jesus' fruit would multiply. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about how the gospel even got to us here in this day and time? That we would be gathered in this place? Because his death would bring about a rallying cry. And his resurrection would bring us a day to come together. To rejoice in his goodness and celebrate what he has done for us. Then he tells them this. You go tell those Greeks this. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The reason you can say that your life is kept for eternity is through Christ. Through hating the things of this world. Despising the things that are in this world. Casting aside our our idols. Those things that we, we think give us rejoicing and think give give us uh, joy and peace and happiness and all those things that we put in the place of Christ. Jesus says, no. You're going to follow me. As he goes on to say, he must follow me. You must lose those things. Lose. question for you this morning. Have you surrendered your life to Christ? Have you surrendered expectantly for the hope that is to come? Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you you laid down your own selfish life to follow after Christ? You're a Christian here. Is there something in your life that you're still holding on to that you you cannot surrender or have yet to Christ? Is there something that you're having trouble laying down at the feet of Christ? Is there something that you're just holding on to? Yeah, yeah, Lord, I I get it. I know I'm supposed to do this and I believe and I I receive the good news of the gospel and I, I believe the good news of the gospel, but yet... I'm not quite ready to give you this thing yet. I'm not quite ready to give up my addictions. I'm not quite ready to give up those things that I love in this world more than I love you. I will just challenge you that by the words of Jesus, we are called to surrender. To lay down our lives. In worship, in praise, in surrender to Him. Is that you this morning? I came here with a heart of to worship. Where my mind's attention and my heart's affection was on nothing else but Jesus and His Word and His cross. Did you come here with ready to praise Christ for what He's done? Did you come here with 
the idea that I'm just going to show up. I'm going to check a box. And I'm going to just live my life the way I want to live it. It's not surrender. Surrender is to give up those things that I desire more than I desire the Lord. More than I desire His Son. I pray this morning that as we see Jesus preparing for death, that we will see that if we follow Him, it will lead to life. A life kept for eternity. Get that. You see the beauty in this. You are kept by the power of His Word from long ago that you are kept for eternity in your faith in Him. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Is that you? That we would worship and praise and surrender these things to Him. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. As you are the Son of God. That Lord, as you are ushering in that day to Jerusalem, being celebrated, people rejoicing and praising, that Lord, they missed it. They missed that what you were doing was actually going to lead to your death. It wasn't by surprise. It wasn't by shock. No, Lord, this is what you had planned from the beginning. From the seed of Eve, Lord, you would come. And Lord, Satan would bruise your heel, but you would crush his this promise we see lived, lived out even, even through this day, this Palm Sunday here that we see in this scripture. Lord, is a day that we get to rejoice because you decided, you made that choice to, to come and live a life that we could never live and die a death that we so deserve. But Lord, the grave could not keep you. Days later, you rose from the grave. Lord, help us to believe this. Help us to have faith in this, trust in this above everything else. In Jesus' name, we humbly pray. Amen.